evening, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome here. <laughs> Feel welcome to be here too. So, everything good? Any question tonight? Marsh, yes. Tulan Maharaj ki jai. Because yesterday Maharaj said that uh, a hankar with Rajagun creates a body. Body comes from a hankar with. And I never could understand this. Because for me it's <laughs> almost the opposite. No? A hankar with Rajagun must create like ignorance. <laughs> so how can we understand this? So the question is is about a comment I made last night, um, and um, this is with reference to what's uh, referred to as sometimes the, the Bhagwat Sankhya. Sankhya is a philosophy of old, and one was one of the prominent uh, philosophical currents during the time of the Bhagavatam, the time of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, hmm? and um, Sankhya philosophy is basically a an effort to explain the the that which makes up what's out there so sometimes i've said as you know the question in life in one sense is what's out there and who's asking the question which is more important are they the same are they different right so from the Sankhya philosophy, they're different. What's out there consists of a number of different ingredients, and that's called, in a, in a, in a general term, they're prakriti. And then what's in there asking the question is called purusha. So it's another word for, to use, uh, another word for atma, the seer, the knower. Consciousness itself. So Purusha and Prakriti. This is what the Sankhya philosophy is about, right? And um, it, it seeks to analytically distinguish Purusha from Prakriti, which is, uh, in in brief, of course, what Krishna does in the Bhagavad Gita when he begins to speak to Krishna, uh, to Arjuna. He begins to tell them that uh, there's a difference between you. And the body, the body never dies. You're concerned about killing people, but there's no such thing as death. Not that we should go and kill people, therefore, but the circumstances were uh, what they were, that uh, it was on a battlefield and so forth. So, so oftentimes the yoga philosophy, which is another current of philosophy that was prominent in 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 the time of the Bhagavad, in the time of Mahaprabhu, is coupled together um, with the Sankhya philosophy almost as a way to realize the difference between Purusha and Prakriti and experience oneself as, as Purusha rather than identifying with the Prakriti that's constantly in flux uh, and so forth. And with that kind of identification with the material nature that uh, in which things are coming and going all the time, it's hard to uh, get your feet on the ground. 
it's like musical chairs. Hurry up and get a chair, you know, or you'll be out, and you will be out uh, at one point. So there's, there's no firm ground, so to speak, to stand on. Hmm. Yoga is about coming into balance by going within and so forth. So because the, the Sankhya philosophy, it, it doesn't really give a method for realizing the Purusha, hmm, other than telling you about it, so to speak. And, and, and because, by contrast, the yoga philosophy is almost entirely about a method for realizing the Atma, hmm, a system. Hmm. They're thought to soften couple together as teaching and method, although, technically speaking, there are some differences in the yoga philosophy from the Sankhya philosophy. One of the differences, for example, in the yoga philosophy, there is an acknowledgement of Ishwar. Hmm? But we don't find that in the original uh, Sankhya philosophy. Ishwar means God, of course. Hmm? It's just Purusha and Prakriti. So, the, what we find in the Srimad Bhagavatam is an adaptation of what you might refer to as the current thinking of the time as to the nature of what's out there. Not only what it's made up of in terms of ingredients, so to speak, but it's, it's nature. And although the Sankhya philosophy seeks to articulate the ingredients, even that philosophy, I believe, is more about the nature of what's out there than it is about exploring it in great detail, like with a microscope or with a telescope, which is what's prominent in today's world, to examine what's out there in great detail and to become so absorbed in pursuing the details of what's out there that it's often at the cost of considering what's 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 in there and, and, and who's in there and who's asking the question kind of gets gets lost right and what's out there is is everything hmm? so um, but um, the point I was making with regard to the Sankhya philosophy in its description of nature, it is a kind of somewhat of a detailed description, and it's carried over into Buddhism. Hmm? Buddhism adopted that. So it's the, for example, different schools of thought in India and in the, in the East and so forth, for the most part, uh, all looked at what's out there from the Sankhya point of view and how it evolves, so to speak, how it, from the, from the, State of equilibrium. The, this uh, this uh, stuff. This uh, I call it uh, to use what would might be a more modern scientific term. A sea of potentialities. What's out there is a sea of potentialities, and then with the contact of, of consciousness with that, those potentialities can be activated, and so then there's a world, so to speak. But it's more of an idea than it is a thing, even when it's a thing. Hmm? In other words, of course, now we're getting into the Gaudiya perspective of it. Hmm? 
or the Vaishnav perspective, the Vaishnav Vedanta perspective of, of what's out there. Advaita Vedanta says there's nothing out there. Hmm? There's nothing out there. But the Gaudiya say there's something out there. But it's not like hard things, so to speak. It's a sea of potentialities and with the con- touch of consciousness then they're activated and so the world is more of an idea but this is not a pure form of idealism hmm? like Berkeley's idealism hmm? philosopher in the West um, everything's just an idea there's nothing really out that's kind of a uh, a Western form uh, in, in a sense of the radical non-dualism if you will of of, uh, of Shankar so we say it's more of an idea than not an idea, but there's something out there that, in connection with ideas, takes takes shape, so to speak. So, But my point is that in all of the Sankhya philosophy, there's more really of an emphasis on the nature of the world than there is a uh, detailed, detailed description of, of what's out there. In other words, what's out there, it's made up of this, I mean, this is what it does. And what it does is more important. And what it does means what it does in relation to the Purusha. And how the Purusha can get out from underneath that predicament is more of an emphasis on what's out there. So it's very kind of a pragmatic um approach and not at the cost of or at the loss of the sense of uh, self. Uh, so looking at the what's out there really with the emphasis on what's in there. Hmm? Who's asking the question, right? Hmm? So the Bhagwat, like other schools of thought, like I've said, including Buddhism, hmm? adopted the Sankhya perspective on the world, hmm? on what's out there. A description, an analytical, Sankhya means to count. Hmm? So counting, enumeration, there's this, there's this, just like in chemistry you learned, I don't know, the elemental table, there are so many of them. They're periodic, periodic, that was my least favorite subject in grammar school, chemistry. But, uh, <laughs> um, Uh, the Bhagwat, like other schools, this was the, cur- the prominent perspective on what's out there, so it's adopted. So the Bhagwat has a, it built into it, the Bhagwat text, a Sankhya reference, if you will, to explaining what's out there. But again, the emphasis is on what's out there in terms of what it does the illusion it provides or that it gives rise to the need to transcend it and in that sense know it know it by transcending it is the is the whole emphasis rather than knowing it for the sake of exploiting it and trying to make this uh life this frame of the movie of our life which is one frame one one life in a huge movie make a motion picture, make an Academy Award-winning picture out of one frame, that's not a good idea. You understand? That's not a good idea. But that's what we're trying to do. 
to add on to this life and somehow enhance it, make it more, increase its duration, uh, do away with uh, 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 all disease, uh, preserve your remains that they may be later on injected and brought back uh, to life and and so forth. Um, so we we look at this as a kind of in, kind of insanity. Hmm? There was an article I read some time back about the people of wasn't Burma but Bhutan. Bhutan. They're said to be the happiest people in the world. Hmm. Some by some metric, right? And the and the uh, the reasoning behind the conclusion that they were the happiest people of the world is because of the extent to which they embraced or accepted impermanence. Hmm? They didn't try to... It was just so permeated their culture, the idea that what's out there is, a, is just a passing thing. The struggle, you're not the struggles. That's just a path that, that we're all burdened with in life. That's just a passing thing. And they were so... Their culture... Uh, and education, upbringing was so permeated with that that they were, they were and that's true <laughs> right impermanence right? trying to make it permanent hmm? permanence out of impermanence this is a recipe for frustration right so they were happy hmm? with that hmm? um, and of course we say there is something permanent and it's us and 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 by letting go of impermanence impermanence in this sense being a phase or a particular face of nature that combined in a certain way at this point in time and will unwind and and, and deconstruct in due course. Instead of identifying with that and trying to make that more than what it is, accept what, read the writing on the wall. Hmm. Open your eyes and 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 then turn within, right? Get a third eye, look within, right? And uh, and 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 find the permanence there in the in the constant observing factor, which is you, of the ever-changing material phenomena. You're sitting still, and the movie's moving, and you've identified with it, and so with its ups and its downs. You're rising and falling, hmm. right? So, so what I'm saying here is that the Sankhya philosophy, as 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 much as it might be thought of as as primitive um, and uh, a form of folk science as to what's out there and so forth, it's really speaking in a in a in a in a, a different way about nature. And what's out there, even as it uh, seeks to s- explain the in- the ingredients, so to speak, with with the language of the time and so forth, it's that's not as important hmm, as it's more as its overarching emphasis that the the world is temporary and uh, and uh, and. Uh, Purusha or the Atma can come out from underneath its influence and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, then, what I'm saying is that the Sankhya philosophy, for example, which was the 
for a long time, centuries and centuries, the predominant perspective on what's out there and how to explain it, how to talk about it. And then different versions of it, the non-theistic versions, different theistic versions. The Bhagavatam has its own theistic version of, of Sankhya. Looking at that Sankhya perspective, don't try to compare that to modern science's perspective on what's out there, which is at the loss of what's who's asking the question. Right? It blurs the difference um, be, be, between the two, and that kind of dominant philosophical perspective, we call it materialism, naturalism, physicalism, is 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 a uh, is a very irrational kind of a perspective in which reason has no bearing on what's truth there's no right or wrong action there's only dust in the wind hmm. all there is is dust in the wind kansas so where there's tornadoes too yeah. <laughs> and where there's hope hmm. somewhere over the rainbow hmm. This is this is Krishna consciousness somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> uh, birds fly <laughs> over the rainbow. Why? Oh, why can't I? Hmm? You can. Hmm? You can, but not in this body. <laughs> and if you try to make a plane out of physical stuff, it, it's never going to be as 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 versatile and as as what would be the word as aerodynamic as uh, as hummingbird, your helicopter imitation, and uh, or rocket uh, jet and so on and so forth, right? So, um, <clears throat> so uh, just an overarching point here. No need to see the two as being in competition, hmm? material predominant scientific perspective today is 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 over analyzing, so to speak, material nature with a view to ex- exploit it and use it to make this again one frame in the movie of our life, a, a Academy Award winner, hmm? the be all and 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 end all, so to speak. Hmm? Uh, so we 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 we're we're uh, not interested in that. That said, it's it's not as uh, unsophisticated of a perspective about what's out there as one might in a modern time think. And there's some scope for some, and some have advocated some kind of fusion between this sunk perspective and, and modern science, that, that which is which which itself the latter that is 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 really with all its talk, at a real loss for what's out there. Hmm. Well, it can describe this is out there, that's out there, how it all works, what it all means. Uh, I mean, just, just for example, for so long what was out there was thought to be totally figured out. Hmm. That's called like classical Newtonian physics. All the forces have been figured out, how everything works, it's all figured out. Hmm the math of it, and so forth. And suddenly then you look a little deeper, a little further within, and you find things happening 
that don't make any sense how a what is it a particle so what how something can be a particle and a and a wave depending how how you look at it or uh, something like that and that's like whoa, whoa, wait a minute close close that up close that up that's that's contradicts our whole centuries of perspective so the attempt has been to try try to bring that quantum weirdness as it was thought as it is thought into into harmony with the more settled idea that we've figured it out so to speak classical physics but it's not so easy to do because it's weird the world is weird it's it's krishna's maya and as he says and it's and look further who knows what will turn next where we'll go next what's right so um so yeah um there as i sometimes say that there's this effort to reduce consciousness and mind to physical to a brain to matter but really effort is made without really knowing what matter is is it is it is it information is it like i said a sea of potentiality that's a kind of progressive um, perspective or is it just hard things out there particles and so on and so forth so, hmm. so from our point of view from the Bhagavad's point of view good luck with that trying to figure that out and 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 by the way don't waste your time mama maya durate krishna's is my maya it's difficult to overcome it's impossible turn towards me turn to yourself and towards me your swords and then you will unknow it by way of transcending it without having to know every detail about about it right which is is it worth what's the what's the what's the purpose of trying to know every detail again you're trying to make more out of this life than it than than, than is, is, is possible so so the sankhya philosophy and in the sankhya philosophy then there there is a psychic matter and there is physical matter and physical matter kind of emanates out of psychic matter hmm? so nature is thought to be in a kind of a state of equipoise, hmm? right? And pradhan, hmm? and then the the touch of consciousness, like God paying attention to His Maya Shakti, Vishnu. Hmm? This Vishnu, Paramatma. Mahavishnu hmm, is that this is a, a feature of the Godhead hmm, who has this Shakti, Maya Shakti. He has also Tatasta Shakti. Hmm. These are features of the Paramatma. Hmm. These are not features of Krishna. To you know, to, to look closely in a refined way. At the theology, Krishna is 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 predominated by 
surrounded by interpenetratingly absorbed in his swarup shakti. Swarup shakti, his internal energy. It's his own, and so his, his own world of Leela. Hmm. He has another feature of himself, right? Called, well, as the progression goes, right, the, the, he, he, well, anyway, in Vaikuntha there is Narayan. Hmm. And there's this, there's a Chatur view, like the four forms of Narayan. There's Vasudev, Sankarshan, Pradyumna, and Aniruddha. And the Sankarshan, in particular, is is a, is a particular is a manifestation of of Baladev, who presides over what's called Sandini Shakti, existential feature of reality, the, the realms. Hmm. There's the material realm. There's different spiritual realms and so forth. So, this is m- manifest so to speak, from um, uh, Balram hmm? and, and Ingolok and as, as expands as Mahasankarshan, hmm? Mool Sankarshan in Dwaraka and then into Baikuntha. This is complicated, but into Baikuntha. And he's doing the same thing. So this, this so in, in, in order that Mahavish, in order that Narayan, Vasudev of Baikuntha, can experience his ambition to bestow mukti. He wants to be, he lives with muktas, means liberated people, enlightened people. He wants to bestow enlightenment, that's like compassion. But if you're surrounded by people who are enlightened, well, you don't have much prospect for bestowing it on anyone. Hmm? So for for the Godhead to be to be compassionate, there needs to be a realm hmm, where he can play that role, so to speak, and bestow enlightenment. So Mahasankarshan is that phase, that phase of of Vasudev Narayan and Vaikuntha that manifests as the as Mahavishnu, hmm, and and Pradyumna comes comes with him of the Chaturview as as um, Chirudak Garbadakshay Vishnu and Aniruddha comes with him as Chirudakshay Vishnu. These are the three Purushas, hmm. and um, they preside over Ahankar, this uh, Mahavishnu, Buddhi. Is uh, Pradyumna, Garbhadakshya Vishnu, and Manasa, hmm? the Chiradakshya uh, uh, Vishnu. Hmm? They preside over these features of psychic matter, subtle matter. Hmm? Hmm? The subtle matter is, is so refined hmm? that when pure consciousness touches it, it's, it reflects it. Hmm? And so w- when this takes place, then the, this matter starts to act like consciousness. Just like a reflected light acts like a light. Hmm? But it's entirely dependent upon the light itself. Hmm? 
but so this is what what's going on. <laughs> I'm talking about in a macrocosmic sense, and then it's, this this takes manifests in a microcosmic sense in terms of everyone's world that they're living in, so to speak, worlds within the world. Hmm. So um, this this Mahatattva is the Pradhan touched by consciousness. Hmm. And this is being this is this is this is the this is the Mahasankarshan in the form of Mahavishnu hmm, making a world where there, where enlightenment can be bestowed. Hmm. And from him comes the Maya Shakti. Hmm. Krishna says this in the Gita, Hambija Padapita. Hmm. I'm the seed giving father of the world. And if you look carefully at it, Krishna's speaking about his his Paramatma feature. Hmm? He does this in the Gita. Every time Krishna says, I do this or I do that, if you look carefully, he's not always talking about himself in Vrindavan, doing this or that. But he has other features of himself, other faces of himself, for different purposes. He has no purpose. That's called Leela. No purpose. And all of his forms have no purpose to fulfill, no necessity, but they may be less lesser expressions of the of of full playfulness that is found fully in in Vrindavan. Krishna has no no duties. He doesn't need to establish dharma in Vrindavan. That's not what he's doing. And he's the son of a rich rich boy, rich man. Has nine hundred thousand cows. That's money. Yeah. His father has nine hundred thousand cows. So, so Mother Yasoda insists, you don't need to go cow herding. Your father has so many assistants. Hmm? Yes, you may be the son of a coward, but what kind of coward are you the son of? He's very wealthy. You don't need to do those things. Hmm? This happens every every morning hmm? when Krishna tries to go and herd cows with his friends. These kind of objections come from his mother. Hmm? Krishna says, well, Sri Dham is also the son of a wealthy coward, son of Vrishabhanu Raj. He's very wealthy, but he's herding cows. Right? He makes such arguments. Can a Brahmin get somebody else to do his duties? So I'm a cowherd. This is my, my my dharma. I have to do so. Uh, so Yashoda's kind of convinced. If Nanda will be convinced, and Nanda, of course, is kind of tricked into it by his uncles, who are favorable towards the idea, because when Krishna starts to talk to them about cow herding and so forth, then he's spending more time with them because he can speak to them about something he can't quite bring up to his parents that well without some reservations on their part and putting putting like restrictions on it you can but only this far you can only go this far and come back for lunch and and so forth so his his brothers uncles of krishna will then of course convince nanda maharaj that 
They get him to kind of turn. Think of it like this. Hmm? Your son will, will, you'll be so proud of him. Hmm? You, you hurt all the cows and uh, take responsibility. You're old now. Hmm? So then he starts to think in a parental way like this. Yes, I'll be very proud of him. Yes, he should herd cows and so forth. Hmm? So the point is, he has nothing to do. Hmm? And he does cow herding. Hmm? But it's no effort, actually. <laughs> it's no effort. The cows love him so much that whatever he calls, they will come. Right? So he, he is the full, this is the full face of, of Leela. He's not manifesting souls in the material world and seeking to liberate them and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. He's enwrapped in his Swarup Shakti. You see Krishna and Krishna's Swarup Shakti. This makes up the Godhead. Just like the moon and it's shine. Moonshine. <laughs> that will make your head spin. Right? So Krishna enwrapped with his Sarup Shakti. Sarup Shakti has two two aspects. One, it manifests the Swarup, the form of Krishna. Without Sarup Shakti, God is Brahman. Formless. Motionless. Right? The more the Sarup Shakti is in play, the more uh, the form of the Godhead is manifest and moves and plays and so forth. Hmm. For the form of Krishna exceeds in excellence the form of Narayan hmm. by four qualities. Venu Madhurya, Lila Madhurya, Rupa Madhurya, and Prima Madhurya. Sweet flute, sweet form, charming. Hmm. How charming. Narayan wants to have the darshan of that form. Hmm. Right? Narayan wants to have the darshan. Lakshmi wants to. Oh my God. Don't tell Narayan. His wife wants the form of the course. That is, if, that is okay. So, so attractive is his form. And his Leela, Leela Madhurya, sweet Leelas. What are the Leelas of Narayan? Oh, well, it's Vaikuntha. Who knows? But Leela, but uh, Leela avatars he has. Nishringa, Vamana. And the more those avatars are closely, more closely tied to Krishna, the sweeter they become, like Bhagavan Narasimha. Very closely tied. He become very sweet. Very, very much included in Bhagavatam. Ten chapters about him. More than about anybody else. Other than Krishna. So, Krishna. Very sweet. And two aspects to his Swarup Shakti. It manifests his Swarup, so that Swarup Shakti is inherent in his form, and it has and it has a splendor also, a splendor. This splendor is 
manifest as devotees, as Sakya, as Madhuri, as Vatsalya, as Dasya. These are called the Parshadas or the the retinue, the entourage of Krishna. Radha, Yashoda, Sridham, hmm? Raktak. Mm. The personifications of these feelings that make for, well, you see, they're making up Krishna. If there's no Yashoda, then there's no childhood to God. Uh, yeah. uh, there's, there, if there's no Sridham, then there's no fraternal. Hmm. Krishna has three, three personalities. Hmm. He's the son of Yashoda. He's the friend of Sridham. Hmm. He's the lover of Radha. Hmm. In Braj, right? So you need Radha, you need Sridham, you need Yashoda, Nanda. Hmm. So these are now, if I say Krishna and his Rupa Shakti, this is the Godhead. Hmm? So the point I'm making here, of course, is that that Nanda, Yashoda, Radha, they are not Tatasta Shakti. They're the Swarup Shakti. If Krishna were, if they were Tatasta Shakti, which is our position, then Krishna's position would be compromised or subject to compromise because the Tasta Shakti is Tata. It can go one way, it can go the other. Srup Shakti can never go to this side. Impossible. Hmm? Anadi Siddha Sangskars. Tendencies for serving Krishna with perfectly in love with no beginning. In Braj, Rupa Goswami used the term Ragatmikas. That they, they, the raga, love for Krishna, is inborn in them. They are the very personification of love of Krishna in different different forms, different tastes, different flavors. Hmm? If they were Tatasta Shakti, Krishna's position would be compromised. Hmm? Because Tatasta Shakti could go one way or the other. Hmm? Mm-hmm. It's subject to we say when the Tathasa Shakti comes under the Srupa Shakti, then it's no longer subject to um, turning away, so to speak, or being being turned away. Mm-hmm. So Krishna is enveloped in his Srupa Shakti, and his Paramatma feature presides over Tathasa Shakti and, and, and Maya Shakti. Ma Sankarshan in Baikuntha manifest Tatasta Shakti that is Nitya, Mukta. And when he manifests himself as Mahabishnu, he manifests Tatasta Shakti that is Nitya Badha. Eternally enlightened and in need of enlightenment. Hmm? So, this Mahabishnu, it's sometimes described as he glances at this material nature in its pristine kind of virgin uh, f- form that science is trying to get at. What's the what's at the at the bottom? What's it like? Hmm? 
and the whole has all these it's like this sea still now but it's full of potentials like a volcano just ready to it could explode with the so with the glance of issue then it's like throwing a rock in the pond and so suddenly oh now there's motion right so the motion begins um on the subtle realm mahavishnu decides to become many eko bahusham the one becomes many everywhere in the sacred texts of the hindus this is a reference to mahavishnu hmm? only people like us gaudias sometimes out of our bhava take such statements to mean and krishna became radha see Hmm. As Rupdamara says what he says, Radha Krishna Pranai Vikitiladini Shakti Rasmad. Hmm. The transformation of his Ladini Shakti, this is Radha. Hmm. His love. Hmm. The personification of love of himself. Ekubahusham, the one become many. This is a Gaudiya idea, a very charming idea. Hmm. But the typical uh, rendering of such in context is about in relation to the world this world the world of our sensual mental and uh, physical experience hmm? the one who presides over it becomes many hmm? in, 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 we also can find the reference in Chaitanya Charitamrita that is the Gaudiya perspective Mahasankarshan is the source of the Tatasta Shakti. In Vaikuntha he manifests Tatasta Shakti and shows that they can live on that side. Hmm? That's our theory, so there should be some evidence to the effect. Hmm? So there are some Tatasta Shakti jivas who manifest there, they're Nitya Mukta, they're Tatasta Shakti, imbued with Swarup Shakti. They're living in the environment, health happily, thriving, in the environment of Swarup Shakti, which is functioning only for the pleasure of Krishna, no other no other purpose. And so they're functioning only for the pleasure of Krishna. Their desires are all pleasing to Krishna. One cowherd boy likes kachoris, one likes samosas. Krishna likes both. No problem. Hmm. And then the Tasta, well, it means they can go one side or go the other side. They can live an enlightened life, or they could be illusioned. Hmm? Right? So, the one becomes many. Mahavishnu. It's all in all the Upanishad. That's Ekubahushan. This is an Upanishadic statement. Right? And there's many. It's all about the world. Hmm? And the one is all about Brahman. Hmm? You can say Mahavishnu. Hmm? It's a broader idea, kind of with a broad brush. God becomes many, and the world ensues. Hmm. Why does he do it? Because he wants to. It's a kind of a leela. Well, we'll hear that and go, what kind of leela is that? Hmm. Yeah, hmm. compared to Krishna leela, and I've already explained that. In Krishna, we find he is Lila Purushottam. This is Krishna. 
he is the, the, the supreme person of Lila, Lila Purusha, the su- ultimate supreme person in play. Hmm? Mahaprabhu is Prem Purushottam, who gives the Prem. Hmm? Uh, but Mahavishnu is not Lila Purushottam, but he has a Lila. <laughs> this is his Lila. Hmm? Manif- become many. Hmm? Out of out of his own joy, he expands himself into many tiny atmas. No, this has no. You know, we're 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 restricted by language, so it sounds like it happens at a certain time. But there's no beginning to this. There's no beginning to to God's compassion. So there's no beginning to the world. Hmm? The basis of the world is ignorance. Hmm? The beginning of the world is ignorance. Well, what's the beginning of ignorance, right? We say that the world is is consists of these parts and parcels of the Godhead intertwined with the Maya Shakti, the Jiva Shakti or Tattasa Shakti intertwined, mixed up with the with the Maya Shakti. Hmm? So what's the beginning of that? Hmm? What is that? What, what? How does that play out? What is that? In a word, it is avidya. It is ignorance. What is the ignorance? That the, the jiva is trying to derive happiness in relation and in, in, in enduring life in relation to things that are not inherently happy and don't endure. They're here today and gone tomorrow. By acquisition, by acquiring, trying to be the more that it already is and doesn't realize. It's identified with the show and 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 trying to add on to itself, protect itself, to be bigger, to be happier, to know more, right? That's ignorance. So at the bottom we say, the world is about ignorance. What's the beginning of the world? We can say, well, Vishnu, but hmm, yes, one becomes many. So the many become, but his jurisdiction is the Maya Shakti. So now this, that the combination of the two produces an ignorance that makes possible the fulfillment of Narayan's desire to bestow mukti. To bring light, hmm? to enlighten, to put out the darkness, to turn on the light. Hmm? So the world is about ignorance. At its root, the root of the whole world is ignorance. The beginning of the world is ignorance. Now you may ask, okay, what's the beginning of ignorance? Okay. If you want to say, Why is there suffering in the world? If there's God, why is there suffering in the world? We say, well, it's it's not we say it's not God. It's there's ig- ignorance is the cause of suffering, and we see that, and that ignorance is, takes the form of uh, attachment, desire, hmm? and then subsequent suffering. Attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. You can look at it carefully. You can see, you can figure it out. 
you can be a Buddha and you can figure it out. You won't figure out there's Krishna and there's Vishnu and, and Goloka, but you could figure that out. That's sattvic. Hmm? You can, that's smart, wise, very subtle. You can figure that out. Hmm? It's right before your eyes. It's playing itself out every day. Attachment hmm, to things, liking things that don't endure is a recipe for, for problems. Because they won't endure and you still like them. <laughs> hmm? So don't get neurotic about it now. But you know, just keep that. That's what's going on here. And so, so when things are no longer within your grasp, then you, you've already been prepared for that, so to speak. There'll be some pain because you're attached, but still, you can uh, can learn as it's happening to you. Oh, that I learned about that. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, okay. You get grounded in this, then you become happy, like those. What were they? Bhutanese people, they're happy. So, so ignorance. Now, the Western mind will ask, "What's the source of ignorance? What's what's the source of ignorance?" You say ignorance is. Is 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 the beginning of of suffering. Ignorance is to blame. What what's the what's the what's but what what's what's the beginning of ignorance? So let me ask you a question, Maharaj. Do you speak Bhutanese? No. Are you ignorant of the language? <laughs> when did that begin? That's right. Ignorance has no beginning. Think about something you don't know about. When did it begin that you didn't know about it? Hmm? The very nature of ignorance is that it has no beginning. So when you ask what's the beginning of ignorance, you're not understanding what we're saying. And we say ignorance is the beginning of your suffering. Hmm. Is there ignorance? Yes, that's for sure. Does it have a beginning? No. Then? Hmm. This is Eastern philosophy. Hmm. Tell it to the West, to Krishna West. <laughs> Etc. Hmm. It has no beginning. Oh, this is now enlightenment, right? Shedding light on the nature of ignorance. So, so, so the Mahavishnu, right, out of joy becomes many, but his jurisdiction is the Maya Shakti, and so, just like in Vaikuntha, their associates are manifest out of the Sarup Shakti, and in, in the Goloka, so all the godheads have associates, right. So we're the associates of Mahavishnu. We're the Tatasta Shakti. He loves us. And in our very constitution as a jiva, we have some affinity towards the Paramatma. We don't have prem and bhakti inherent in us. We have some affinity towards our our source. 
this is why humans are forever looking for the source and have theistic ideas and, and so forth. And it's part of our constitution. And when he glances at the material nature, so to speak, with consciousness, sets it in motion, then that subtle matter reflects the consciousness and from it comes, well, consci- consciousness touching the Mahatattva. This is called chitta. Chitta. Awareness. Let us say you hear a sound and you become aware of it. Hmm. First moment. I'm aware of a sound. What's the second moment? After I'm aware of a sound, what's the second moment? Hmm? Determination. What is the nature of the sound? So I hear a sound, then I determine what is it. Oh, it's a flute. Oh. Hmm? And then the third is whether you, whether you like it or not. I like it, I don't like it. I might like it when I hear it, but then I have to determine anyway. So there's awareness, discrimination, buddhi, hmm? chitta, buddhi, and manas. Manas means desire, the seat of desire. I like the sound, I don't like the sound. Hmm? I determine the sound is this, I'm aware of the sound, I determine it's this, I like it, I don't like it. Hmm? You might like it, but then you determine it's not shouldn't be it's not worth liking. It's a problem. So anyway, so now this chitta, this buddhi, and this manas are combined with ahankar. Hmm. This is what your question is about ahankar. Hmm. Ahankar, ahankara. Kara means to make. So to make an eye. Hmm. So it makes an eye. The impression of consciousness on subtle matter kind of gives rise to a, an identity, an I, a hunkar. Hmm? So this is in a macrocosmic sense, right? Hmm? And so now this is the Sankhya philosophy, and these ingredients of material nature are, are manifesting. So the subtle realm is the is the chitta, manas, uh, buddhi, and hunkar, hmm? and then. The gunas that are being that are in equilibrium that are being disturbed when they're touched by manas, but they were touched by sattva. When hankar then combines with sattva, then you get manas. Then you get manas. When hankar is touched with rajas, you get buddhi. Hmm? And and then and and then and then the other one touched by tamas. You get the like, like, like the, like the, 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 the senses and the, the tanmatras, the sense objects. Hmm? Hmm. So ignorance, with combined with ankar, ego, hmm? manifests like starts to then manifest the gross world. Hmm? It has the subtle senses and then the sense objects. 
mm, and the gross senses. Mm. When in touch with 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 uh, booty, then with with passion, rajas, then there's booty. Because why? Be, this is your question. Because rajas is about doing something, and booty is about about doing something. Hmm? Um, therefore, Brahma's Brahma is the personification of rajas, hmm? so to speak, right? Hmm. Yeah, what's the term? Um, hmm. yep. Rajas, hmm. intelligence, uh, and there's some. Uh, discrimination. Discrimination means uh, labeling things. Hmm? So through sound, Brahma begins to label things, categorize things, and arrange the secondarily the creation. This is the function of of buddhi. Hmm? Discriminate. This part is this. This part is that. Put them together in this way. And hmm? you need buddhi for that, right? Um, let's say, you know, you have an architect. Hmm? Architect is not a carpenter. Hmm? Hmm? But he has booty and it's active. Right? It manifests the blueprint. Hmm? The blueprint. So, Ahankar, in touch with Rajas, manifests booty. In touch with Manas, with, with Sattva, it manifests uh, the mind. Hmm? In touch with uh, Thomas, it manifests the objects of the senses and the senses. This is the Sankhya philosophy. Hmm? And a few other points <laughs> along the way. <laughs> Forgive me. Hmm? Um, but I'm not an expert on Sankhya. By any means. Hmm? Uh, you know, you got to know a little bit about it. Uh, Makes sense out of some sections of the Bhagavatam, right? Mm-hmm. What else? What's the time? 7.30, okay. Well, it's nice to be with you all and be here for a couple of weeks, a few weeks. So we'll get together again tomorrow evening. C.C. Gauradamadavaki Jai. Gaurabhaktavindaki Jai. Gaurapremanandaki Jai.